I think this experience of just like what we say, we call it in our witnessing means just being aware of your awareness. You're just, you're, you're maybe perceiving something or thinking something, but you're also aware of the fact that you're perceiving and you're aware of the fact that you're thinking. So it, it just takes it one like little step back so that it shows that you also are not your thought and you're not your perception. You're actually the witness of it. And that's mm -hmm. sort of the deepest level of um, consciousness is primary. Welcome to Brand New Thought. I'm your host, Razmixer Gassian. And today with me is Brian Levine, a certified teacher of transcendental meditation, working with the David Lynch Foundation, and I must add to that, a good friend of Armenia. Brian, welcome to the show. Thank you, Razmik. Very happy to be here. How are you feeling? Pretty good. Um, I should correct that I'm actually not working with the David Lynch Foundation anymore, but I am, <laughs> I am a DM teacher. And uh, I did teach with the David Lynch Foundation in, in the United States. I think I, I transferred, I've moved around in different capacities, teaching TM in different countries and so forth. But um, I had great experiences working with the David Lynch Foundation in the United States. I taught in schools in Los Angeles, in New York, and then um, I think in 2015, 2015, so seven years, so eight years ago, I, I started working um, just in the normal TM center in New York City, and I was there for a couple of years and taught a lot of people there. And uh, and then 2017, I went to India, and I was teaching TM in schools in India. So I've been I've been all over, but always the same thing, basically just teaching transcendental meditation. So, yeah, that's beautiful. It's it's funny. I had it in my notes. Like, well, I have to ask ask Brian if he still works with David Lynch Foundation. Yeah. It's like, okay, it's it's all right. Yeah, <laughs> no, it's good to give David Lynch Foundation some um, you know some some uh, credit here because they did help really launch me into you know a lot of experiences and opportunities and so yeah get happy to happy to give david lynch foundation <laughs> their flowers <laughs> it's a great organization so. we can say that there are no coincidences and just let it be <laughs> yeah yeah all good all good all good there's so many topics that i that i personally want to talk with you about there are actually a few topics that some of my listeners have brought up about tm long before tm was even mentioned in the podcast but uh, uh, overall, like one of the things that I uh, like about your, your approach, and I think you highlighted that in, in, in one of your interviews, which was non-pharmaceutical approach to, to wellness and personal development and mental health. Yeah. And that's pretty much an overarching, overarching topic um, for the podcast. So um, tell us a little bit about your journey and i know before you became a teacher you were you, you majored in psychology right yeah i was um studying psychology with an emphasis in neuroscience when i was in undergrad in the uh, us and that i mean i was also pre-med at that time i didn't wasn't sure if i wanted to be a doctor but i was just interested in something that was helpful for society and also aligned with my interests. That was sort of the sweet spot I was looking for. And um, yeah, eventually, you know, when I was a student, I had a lot of pressure and stress in different areas of my life, like personal and student life and all sorts of things. And that made me very interested in, in improving my own well-being. 
like I wasn't just searching for a job. I was also interested in improving myself and then trying to find a way to marry. It's like to have a marriage between something that would be, that would feel good to me, help me and help other people. And so I did a lot, you know, tried many different mind body interventions, different types of meditation, different types of body work, did a, just, just did we're in the whole gamut of experiments. Um, and there was a couple things that I really liked. Yoga was one of them, like yoga asanas I liked. But TM, when I learned that, it was the sweet spot in my intersection of interest between psychology, neuroscience, improving my well-being, um, spirituality, and uh, I guess we could say consciousness and like this, the study of consciousness. Because when I was a student, philosophy, studying philosophy and neuroscience, a lot of the classes now they do delve into consciousness and like what is consciousness and um how does it relate to our our life and so sort of tm was like exactly in the middle of all of those things so that was that was why i settled on transcendental meditation as like a career choice ultimately and yeah and it's just been fabulous it's taken me a lot of places so that's beautiful. We have a lot in common. I, I've experimented with uh, other types of meditation or meditative techniques as well. But how, how integrated was TM or how institutionalized was TM when you were studying psychology? Like, did, did any of your professors even mention that? Or did you just find out on the side track? Yeah, great question, because no one mentioned it to me. <laughs> I, I never, I didn't know anyone who did TM. I never heard of TM. And then I was... Uh, Actually, I did have a, a professor who I, I did an independent study with, and I had taken a class with him called, I think it was called Stress and Coping. So it was like a very, um, I liked the, that class because it was acknowledging that stress is a part of our life and how can we cope with it better? And as a follow-up to that class, I wanted to go deeper and he suggested that we do an independent study where I would review scientific research on all sorts of modalities and just write a thesis on it. Not a thesis, but like a long paper. And in that independent study, I bought different books. And one of the books I bought talked about transcendental meditation and it showed scientific research on it. And it looked really impressive. So I just, as, as I was doing the independent study, went to the website for TM and there I saw that Jerry Seinfeld, who I don't know if you know Seinfeld, you probably Yeah, of course. Yeah. yeah. So I love he's a big... Yeah. No, no, no. I mean I uh he's he's a, one of the most known celebrities, I think, uh, who practices TM, well, together with Russell Brand and all, all the others. But yeah, please go ahead. Yeah, no, exactly. So when I saw Seinfeld and I just his the quote was something like I've been practicing TM since I was 17 and I think it, it helped my nervous system or it, it, it made me something, you know, calm or relaxed or something. And it was just a simple quote, but it was from Seinfeld. And it's like, oh, wow, like he's doing this. And, you know, he just seems like such a fun and likable personality. Like I would love to be more like, I don't want to be Jerry Seinfeld, but I want to be more like that, you know, just able to kind of go with the flow and laugh at things and not take life so seriously. And Seinfeld seemed like a master of that. So I was like, okay, maybe, so TM maybe makes you more like Seinfeld. So I was like, cool. And uh, that, so Jerry Seinfeld, I'd say is in terms of endorsements, 
was the strongest one for, for me. And that led me to like go into a, an introductory course and get started with it. When I was That's interesting. When, when I discovered, uh, it's, it's kind, kind of similar to how I discovered TM as well. It's a, a, f a friend of mine or a actually a friend of my dad's then we became friends as well and I, I noticed something different about I don't want to say about his creativity but even how he, would, he could use his creativity how he would just manifest it and turn it into action not not a big fan of the word manifest but nevertheless it yeah. makes sense in this context and that's how I discovered so this I think most people discover it with a similar logic right I do I think a lot of people have you know, different entries into hearing about things. And sometimes it takes different exposures. Like you find out, oh, this person does it or this person. And then, I don't know, it's just, yeah. I, I think a lot of it's word of mouth. People hear about TM or they see it on the news or they, in my case, it was sort of a combination of things. So maybe that's how it is for people too. Like a lot of, you know, Howard Stern, he's a he's a famous like radio host. Disc yeah, yeah, I love I love him. So like when I was teaching TM in New York, a lot of people came in from Howard Stern, you know, so there's there's an audience of his that gravitated towards it. And um, then the Russell Brand crew, the Jerry Seinfeld crew. And then there's people that are just like their their parents learned or they had a friend who learned or they saw it on Good Morning America. And, you know, so just different routes people come in. Howard Stern is a very interesting example. He has a very unique style of interviewing people, almost challenging them, but in a very, I think, in a loving way. And it's and he has acknowledged that, especially when you work in radio, TM has been instrumental to him. Because it, it, most people don't realize, but just getting into a conversation, recording it, and going public all the time, that's that can be quite stressful. Yeah, I think I forgot what he said about it, but... Um... You know, in Howard Stern, I think does a lot of psychotherapy and he, he's kind of constantly on a journey to improve himself. So um, he uh, but he I think I think he would say that after his radio show, he would be exhausted and just like collapse and then he would meditate and he'd feel, oh, he has a second life now. And that that's probably uh, one of the reasons a lot of people, for example, in New York in professional industries like finance and you probably know about Ray Dalio and. Um, a lot of a lot of different banks and financial institutions um, offer transcendental meditation now as a way to just kind of create more productivity productivity and well-being in their employees. Because first and foremost, I'd say TM is a very effective um, rejuvenation, relaxation experience. It just gets rid of stress in the nervous system really effectively, and it's not. And I mean, my entry into TM and a lot of the reasons people in the United States meditate isn't for spiritual development or for, you know, to become more self-realized or self-actualized. It's more just to feel better, you know, to get rid of stress and have more peace of mind and peace of body. So, um, yeah, so like from celebrities to just everyday um, professionals to mothers and children, you know, there's just a lot of there's a universal reason to meditate and there's great med there's different meditation techniques. I think probably there's a few that are really good. And in terms of the experience I had, TM was just the most effective at bringing the nervous system into the state of 
deep rest, deep relaxation, the fastest. I don't know if you, you probably had good experiences with other meditation techniques also. I mean, I, I know I did, but with TM, it was just uh, really efficient. And so that was, that was what hooked me personally. Yeah. That makes so much sense. Yeah. I've had good experiences with uh, like breath work, like extending the depth of your breathing and uh, belly breathing and all this. Um, one of the reasons I have a, I have a somewhat unique relationship with techniques. I appreciate them. I want to make, uh, use them as much as I can, but I think at the end of the day, it's all about the state of mind that it can help you get into. And then what you see and what you understand in that state of mind and this, what by, by saying this, I'm skipping all the physical benefits and everything. And we'll talk about that as well. But the reason I sustain TM um, is because it's effortless. It's because it, so the three principles yes. that we often share in, uh, this podcast, we speak about the principle of the mind, which is essentially the fact that we already have innate health that we are, that we seek. And there is a deeper intelligence. You can call it whatever you want that is trying to emerge through you. And, and I like the, in the, I love how whenever there's something true, all traditions or philosophies have some way of relating to it. And I love when I read like the metaphors that a lot of TM teachers share and, and in the TM context, like the ocean metaphor, yeah. that you go deep to the depth of the ocean. There's, there's this place where you're already whole, already complete, and you just hang, you just spend time there and then kind of magic happens. It, it, it was, it fit my paradigm about how the mind works. So, and it never felt like, well, every once in a while, I can, you know, it's a very intimate thing as well, right? I, I'm trying to be careful not to kind of describe some experiences too much so that somebody practicing it might start compare and then see if this is right or that is wrong. But essentially, what I'm trying to say is that it was just the art of doing nothing. And just I, I love doing nothing. I just take my mind off everything. And that doesn't feel like a meditation per se, like an exercise. So... <laughs> Yeah, no, it's true. And I think meditation is, is a tricky word because uh, medit to meditate on something means to think about it. And most of us are, our problem is that we're already thinking about so much or too much, can't stop. Yes. And uh, yeah, so uh, you could also say transcendental meditation is how to gracefully stop thinking <laughs> but it's it's not the goal isn't to stop thinking it's actually just to go deeper into the thinking process and to do it effortlessly which you know is exactly what you said it's kind of the art of doing nothing but it's also the art of not trying and anyone who's taken the tm class will hopefully remember that we we very clearly as tm teachers say we don't try to stop thinking it's an effortless process. We start the technique and take it as it comes. And the mind goes in and the mind comes out and the mind goes in and the mind goes out. And that's part of a natural cycle of mental activity reducing, physical activity reducing, and then mental activity increasing as the body throws off stress and fatigue. So this is all stuff that's covered in depth in the TM course. And we don't go, we wouldn't go into all the details of the course in a podcast, but the point is, it is an effortless procedure, and that's very important. I remember when I learned uh, meditation, I was quite skeptical that I would be able to meditate because my mind was always going. 
And, you know, my TM teacher assured me, he's like, no, like, definitely you'll be able to do it. And I was like, really? Like, like, I mean, I appreciate all the, you know, the good intention of meditating. I just don't feel like I have a mind that can stop thinking and settle down. And, you know, we think of Buddhist monks meditating or just traditional images of what our concept of meditation is, what it, what we think the goal of meditation is. And it's just to achieve the state of, you know, in yoga, they'd say samadhi or something where the mind's just completely silent, no thoughts, and people can just sit on a mountaintop for hours. And uh, I felt very skeptical, I would be able to experience that. But what really impressed me when I learned TM was that I did experience a, a reduction, like a quieting of my mind. And the ex, an experience of silence or pure consciousness, as we'd say in the TM community, on the first meditation. And it was, it was automatic and fast. And I felt better afterwards, but, you know, my life didn't change, but uh, after the first meditation, but it was extremely impressive to me that what I was told in the preparatory talk before I was actually taught happened on the first try. The, and it wasn't like I was giving myself a, what you'd say, like a placebo effect of it. It was beyond a doubt, unquestionably, a completely new experience I had never had before on the first meditation. So I was like, damn, that's really cool, you know? Usually people over promise and under deliver. In this case, what I was promised is exactly what I was delivered, not less and not more. And so that, you know, in this world where a lot of promises are made and not kept, that was really um, the integrity of, of the, the teaching was convinced, you know, quite convincing after the first meditation. Uh, did you have a similar experience with it or how would... Oh yeah, well, well you, there is something very profound in what you just shared, and, and TM actually helped me understand how the mind, or what my experience during TM, and then later just asking deeper questions about how the mind really works, helped me see some things that were already true about the mind. And you kind of mentioned one of those, we, there's no way to actively silence the mind. The problem isn't that we're not thinking enough or anything like that, it's the exact opposite. And like any attempt to think less or try to quiet the mind isn't is a thought too so you can't there's you know you get the metaphor you can't extinguish fire with fire and that's that's where the mantra comes in and that's that's exactly why what i meant when i said it fits my philosophy it's not an active thing and in terms of like the first experience that's that's a good question i i felt some sort of silence mm. uh just a different me taking a step back maybe something similar that I've had every every once in a while somewhat accidentally um, but then it has changed so much I mean I, and I think I had a beginner's mind which helped me quite, quite a lot I didn't conceptualize it I didn't have too many expectations so I was just doing it <laughs> if there's such a thing as doing it and that helped yeah I think um, in my case maybe you had had more transcendental types of transcending types of experiences before you had learned the TM technique. I hadn't. I mean, I had had maybe moments in nature when I was like a kid uh, at, I went to a, like a summer camp where, you know, we went on outdoor adventures. And I remember like on a canoe trip feeling kind of like this peaceful kind of 
expansive state, but you know, it went away pretty quickly. My point is it was quite a contrast for me when I, when I learned transcendental meditation, just how different um, it was to be in a normal thinking mind to a quiet mind. That was just a very big change for me in the first meditation. Um, and uh, yeah, and, and like since then, and it, anyone who takes TM class knows we don't judge success of our meditation on how we feel subjectively during the TM yes. experience. And you probably know, Rosemary, just even morning to evening or day to day, it can be, there can be quite a fluctuation in the, the, the qualitative experience. Sometimes TM feels incredible, very deep. Like you feel like you're, you know, in that state of wholeness or oneness or absolute peacefulness. And then sometimes there's just a lot of thoughts going the whole meditation, but what any, you know, good TM teacher will tell you following the teaching is that we don't judge the meditation, what's happening during meditation. We see how do we feel after the meditation is over and we've come out of meditation, we go into our day because that will be the real metric of success. If we're feeling like that pure consciousness quality flowing into our day, flowing into our daily life and activities, that shows that regardless of how deep you felt in your meditation, the mind did settle down and contact its deepest reservoir of, of wakefulness and intelligence and creativity. This is how, this is the language that we use in the TAM course. And it, it was sticky. It like, it touched it in meditation, maybe just for a moment, but that was enough to be brought out into activity. So that's, this is more getting into kind of how we would discuss like yeah. judging our meditation in, in our TM course. We wouldn't judge it based on how we felt in meditation. We'd say, how do you feel after? That's beautiful. And you're right. The, the, the purpose of genuine meditation isn't to feel high. It's, it's what, yeah, what happens for the rest of the 23 hours. This reminded me of um, something that I think Ram Das used to speak about a lot, which was, he, well, he has been meditating, even using psychedelics, all these different kinds of things. And then he, 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 he says, I realized that I would always come down. And mm -hmm. then that helped me realize that, well, the, the reason was because I was trying to stay high. And I wasn't actually trying to understand what was it that was bringing, bringing me down. And one other thing that I appreciate about TM is that it's like you're beautifully getting, getting in and out. And whatever integration, however appropriate that word maybe to this context, whether it's a physical integration or just uh, an openness, uh, something in your paradigm, there's something, there's some space for a brand new thought. Whatever mm -hmm. happens, it, it happens effortlessly, even relatively speaking effortlessly, at least mostly <laughs> for most of the time. <laughs> I just, I want to give your podcast, you know, credit here for brand new thought. It's a great, it's a great name. And it does, it does relate really nicely to our topic here because yeah, I mean, thoughts are the basis of our actions and therefore the basis of our achievements and our, the fulfillment that we have in life. So when we're able to have a brand new thought from our deepest, most authentic state of being, that means our life will eventually reflect that more and more and more, the truth of who you are, Rasmik, or I am on the deepest level. And so uh, transcending and contacting the deepest, deepest core 
of you will mean that over time, all of your thoughts, actions, and life experiences will be more and more in alignment with who you are. And that's very needed. That's like extremely needed in the society we have today where we're flooded with influences that hide from ourselves who we truly are. You know, all this, the data and stimuli and yes. overstimulation. It's like transcending is the perfect antidote to that. And yeah, and so having a brand new thought every day, brand new thoughts, which uh, reflect you is, is the key to, you know, having basically a better life because a better life for you isn't the same as a better life for me. It has to be in alignment with the uniqueness of us as individuals, you know, and then there's a way to harmonize. And I think it's at least my personal philosophy is um, the happier and more like in integrity I am with my own being the more I'm able to be in harmony and integrity with other people, even though my uniqueness will, it's a little bit of a paradox. Like the more I am myself and not being who other people want me to be, but like the more I'm truly myself, the more I'm actually able to be a good friend or a good neighbor or a good, you know, son or a good brother or whatever it is to, to my family or my friends or my community, because I have to be me to be happy. And if I'm not being me, if I'm being what you think I should be or someone else thinks I should be or my parents or whoever, I'm not going to be a reflector of my full individuality. And that's where my well-being lies is being who I am. And I think so. It's like your job, you could say, in a sense, is to be you. That, that's and, beautiful. And uh, our, like our TM you know, teacher, Maharshi, would say like, uh, heaven on earth was the goal of his actions. And, you know, there's different ways to interpret that, but people would say, well, does that mean like in heaven is everyone, if heaven comes to earth and that we make the world just a peaceful place, a happy place, that's kind of hard to imagine right now, but would that mean everyone's the same and everyone is like, maybe has the exact same values or the same personality. He said, no, it's like a, a beautiful mosaic of differences. And it's like in a garden, you'd have not just one type of flower. It's not like everyone becomes Razmik or Brian or, you know, Allison or Terry or whoever. It's everyone is themselves, but in this beautiful harmony, like everyone's their full self and that's it. And that, anyways, that that's really stretch, stretching out the uh, the topic. But yeah, if you listen to one other another episode of Brandy Thought about Dominic Scafidi, you will. He, there was a segment where we were speaking about exactly the same thing, and that's beautiful. What you what you just described, probably in the more Ayurvedic terms, like oneness behind diversity, and yes. that's true because we are just becoming what we already are. And that's the interesting part. It's not just about the relief of negativity and stress and all that. So it's what comes up in this silence, what you notice in this silence, which is the fact that we are all made of consciousness. We are all that people, you can call it whatever you want. In, in the TM traditions, you call it pure consciousness and somebody might call it another day, but that thing doesn't change. It's just that same thing. Exactly. <laughs> Beautiful. Well, do you think 
Well, let me ask you a few questions about like TM specifically. Um, and then we can, I'm, I'm curious to ask about other topics as well. Do you think, t well, t Maharishi bought, brought TM to the West. And so what we are practicing today, is it the same thing that people thousands of years ago were practicing? Or has he kind of made modifications to the modern world? It's a good question. And I don't know exactly. I mean, we weren't there thousands of years ago to say <laughs> what they were doing. So I can't, I can't answer that question with 100% confidence. But um, I think more or less, I think the way Maharshi packaged TM was like in, packaged in such a way that it could be taught and replicated in, in our society now across all sorts of cultures and, you know, classes of society and, uh, and be effective. I, I don't know how they did it thousands of years ago, but one thing I could say is that the benefits are like what they, what the classic texts of yoga spoke about. And then those texts are, you know, some thousands of years old. And they talk about the experience of uh, like there's this yoga chitta vritti nirodaha is the first or second line of the yoga sutras and it says yoga is the complete the state of yoga is the complete settling of the activity of the mind and that is exactly what we define transcending as now as well is the settling of the we'd say the settling of the activity of the nervous system or the rebalancing of the neurophysiology but it's the same concept so the method or the way it was taught maybe was a little different, but it was probably the core of it was the same because the result of it would be the same. The result of mm. meditation as this settling of the system um, is exactly what, you know, what we're experiencing now. It's the same thing. Um, but yeah, I don't know how they taught it exactly. Yeah. Then. <laughs> Yeah. But I think it's pretty similar. And, you know, if you go to India now, there's, I, I've spent a couple of years living in India and they have a really fascinating uh, situation there where the culture um, in many ways is still intact from thousands of years ago. Like their society is progressive and has um, like their industry and technology has developed quite a lot, but there's still this thing in the air and in the people overall, which feels very ancient. And, um, and like when I've taught meditation there, you do feel out of time and space in a way like that you could be teaching meditation 5,000 years ago, you know, just that you have a cell phone in your pocket, but it feels very authentic um, and ancient teaching TM there. Mm -hmm. And so it's, it very well could be essentially almost unchanged in just the experience I had there. Mm. It's interesting. And it's, I find it very, one of the things that's very unique about TM is also how it's taught. And uh, uh, the ceremony is called puja, right? Well, where the teachers kind of acknowledge all the gender. And I, uh, I think it's a beautiful thing. It's uh, I, as far as I understand, the whole purpose of that was to make sure that the technique stays pure and the, uh, Exactly. Uh, there's nothing religious about that, but I, I loved it. It was a beautiful ceremony. It's like, oh, I think my teacher got this from my teacher, and here it is. <laughs> it, it is beautiful, and it is exactly what you said. And um, it has to be properly, 
explained, uh, I think, before someone learns TM so that they understand what, you know, what they're watching happen on, on that first day of the class so that they understand the context of it and the purpose of it and the reason that we do it. Um, so I always kind of take time to explain that to a student of mine before we start that, you know, on the first day, we'll, we'll have a short ceremony of gratitude called a puja. And that is a scientific procedure of paying respect to the tradition for the benefit of the teacher and the student. Because if I'm running around New York City on the subway and breathing pollution and having, you know, confrontations with traffic, <laughs> when I come in to teach someone meditation, I shouldn't be, that shouldn't be on my mind. I should have my mind on the source of this knowledge so that when I'm teaching it, it's from a pure heart and a pure mind that appreciates, you know, the profundity of what we're teaching and what you're learning. And that's the purpose of the puja. It's not a religious conversion. There's not a religious like purpose to it. It's a scientific purpose. You could say of reconnecting with, um, with something very pure and beautiful and passing it on in that light. And, uh, yeah, that's how I relate to it. Anyways. That's beautifully described. And that's, that has been exactly my relationship with it. Well, why? So there are a few very interesting, not rules, but things that you receive from TM teachers. Um, and one was, I remember, I don't know why I remember this, but I remember that he said, if there's a dog in the house or like an animal, maybe yeah. you might want to do it in a separate room <laughs> because animals feel it and might come jump on you. Like, tell uh, Talk a little bit about that. What, what's the rule and why does it exist? Um, I've meditated with my own dogs. <laughs> when I, I don't have dogs currently, but like my, my family does. And uh, there's nothing wrong with it. It's just that it, it's similar to what you would say, like turn your phone off in the sense that we just yeah. don't want to have distractions or disturbances more than distractions, I would say, because when you're going in and meditating, you're going into your kind of, uh, the gentlest functioning of your nervous system. And it's a little bit delicate. Like if a dog jumps on you or your phone rings or any kind of um, intense <laughs> distraction, it just can be a little bit jarring. It's, it's nothing too serious though. Like if someone says, well, I, I just want to meditate with my dog or my cat and, you know, be like, okay, it's not a big deal just want to be careful about getting you just yeah. yeah just want to be careful about um especially in the beginning days of meditation like now and that's what obviously if someone's just starting we want to be they're just starting which means that the nervous best what i'm trying to say is over time the nervous system becomes more and more integrated and to come back to the word you use um with the experience of deep the deep piece of meditation starts to come into the body more and more it's like integrates in and then and that means external factors of like say an, an animal it becomes less and less of a factor yeah. or it, it's just in the beginning when someone's first meditating we want to be they we want them to be gentle on themselves in the in the process and minimize the chance of being disturbed that's more the the consideration probably than anything in reality mm -hmm. once you're 
like very strongly and firmly deeply embedded with the experience of meditation there's almost no difference between having your eyes open interacting in the world and the experience of meditation it actually they become a coexistent property like th that's that's the experience that we talk about in the last day of the the four-day course where um we go into the discussion of higher states of consciousness and like the first higher state of consciousness we call cosmic consciousness is actually just defined as the coexistence of the experience of deep meditation in activity so at that point yeah a dog a cat a kid a cell phone it's it doesn't matter so that that's that's the full answer i would say to that question <laughs> that's beautiful and what you just said like being able to act from that state and be unobstructed that's that's what it's really more about is i mean even a an, exper an experience of that twice a day just allows you to become more familiar with that state so that when you're not so closely in it you but i don't know if it's the memory of it or the integration that has happened but there's a different level of presence and it's what you mentioned reminds me of well, I want to be careful not to go into topics that may be part of some courses or something, but like, I'm curious about the advanced techniques of transcendental meditation as well. And if I've understood it correctly, the purpose is to empower meditators, not just to meditate and get that experience, but more kind of to act from that state. So not only just go deep within, but also like uh, horizontally in all aspects of your life. Does that kind of make sense? Yes. So um, yeah, the topic of, of, of advanced techniques after TM is, um, something that's talked about, like after one's taken the TM course. So like, we wouldn't go that deep into it right now, but some people learn TM and that's really all they need. You know, they, it gives them, some people develop, uh, higher states of consciousness pretty quickly just from doing TM, for example. And that's great. And then if you're like me, or most people, and you want uh, to go faster, if you feel like, okay, I'm, I'm meditating, I'm feeling peaceful, I'm feeling better during my meditation, and for maybe an hour, half an hour, an hour, two hours after, but then, you know, by lunch, I'm in my normal kind of stress state of mind, I want it, I want more. So yeah, we have different programs, advanced practices, advanced techniques that kind of help to stabilize or integrate deep experiences of uh meditation into activity faster but mm -hmm. it's not it, it, and there's not that much scientific research on like all the advanced techniques of tm so i can't make any scientific claims on it just to say from a personal experience that more than anything when you're committed to something you'll gain more from it and if that just means you're meditating or you're taking advanced courses, you're going on a meditation retreat, anything that you put your attention on will go grow stronger in your life. And anything that you want to cultivate more of and take action steps in the direction of cultivating, yeah, you'll get more benefits from it. So it's much about your intention as anything in a sense. Mm -hmm. And the tech advanced techniques have, there's different advanced techniques in TM, but they're all they're all just geared towards accelerating the benefits that one would get just from doing TM. 
It's beautiful. Um, well, with this one, I'm going to play the devil's advocate a little bit, but but as, as far as I know, there you you guys have a specific word for it, which was so you said cosmic consciousness, and I've heard about like two other levels that people talk about. My question was going to be. Do you think that at a certain level where somebody has have, has had enough experience and through that state of mind, they gain a deeper understanding of how the mind actually works, uh, would there st still be the need to continue meditating? At a certain point, at a certain point, no. <laughs> at a certain point, no. And, I, and there's... But that point never comes from nobody, <laughs> from, from anyone. I, well, I think there, I remember there's some, there's some lecture that Marshy gave where he's like, the purpose of meditation is um, essentially to do less and accomplish more. So he's, even when he's speaking on it, he's thinking of your life, not just your experience of meditation, your mm -hmm. the success of your existence and how good, and that could also be defined as just how fulfilled you are. Um, but he said, he's like, also, it's, you know, in, in, in the, as he continues, he's like, yeah, in not, you don't need to meditate all the time as the, the meditation becomes part of integrated into the nervous system, you know, and, and for this, this aspect of the conversation, it's important to think of it neurophysiologically. There is an actual phys, there is a physiology of um, deep meditation. They call it restful alertness or a hypometabolic physiological state. And it's defined as a fourth, unique fourth state of consciousness, different from sleeping, dreaming, and waking mm -hmm. with its own brain wave pattern and its own kind of signature in the, the whole nervous system and physiology. That can be integrated with the, the first three states of consciousness. So when that integration, and so like here at Marshy University, I live in Iowa where we have a, a university called Marshy International University. And there's a, a like a neuroscience lab here where they'll study brain waves. And there's people in the city who have been meditating for 40 or 50 years. And so when they study their brain waves, they see that when their eyes are open, their brain is showing the the signature, the physiological brainwave signature of deep meditation when they're not mm. meditating. So that's like the brain evidence that suggests that this concept of like a fifth state of consciousness is not just a phil philosophical or theological concept. It's a neurophysiological fact that the brain can integrate the brainwaves of deep meditation in action. So that, so when we talk about higher states of consciousness and TM, it's important to say we're not talking about a concept, we're talking about a natural progressive development of the nervous system, basically. That's beautiful. And that's, I'm glad you brought it up. That's one of the things I appreciate most about TM because there's clear research behind it. I, I don't think any other meditative technique has been researched to that degree. And it's beautiful to watch like the videos of, what happens on an EEG machine when somebody meditates. And I, I'm actually planning to do that. I, I just have to find an EEG machine and try it on myself. Which I have a friend. My next question. Oh yeah, please. I, I, have a, I have a friend who's like, in, he's an inventor and an electrical engineer of sorts and uh, has designed some really cool cutting edge. 
EEG machine with corresponding software that I would love to love to link him up with you and and uh, and and get you on an EEG machine <laughs> with him. So we can consider that's that. beautiful. One, uh, I don't remember in what part of the research. I love reopening up some of the papers and just going through it because I think the research on TM discloses things about consciousness. And don't quote me on this because I don't remember when I read it, but it was about actually when two people meditate and their EEG machines hooked up to their brains. So let's say I start meditating in one part of the room or the building and then somebody else starts. I think they notice some sort of like a matching, some sort of a coherence that starts happening which brings us to the next topic, the group meditations. What's, uh, roughly speaking, what's happening there? <laughs> yeah, the fabulous question. And if I could answer you fully, I'd probably get a Nobel Prize, which I am yes. <laughs> <laughs> But, you know, in theory, and this does get a little bit more into theory, but that would be supporting evidence in the direction of the theory that um, but the deepest level of life that unifies our existence, not just human existence, but all existence is consciousness. And of course, um, a lot of physicists and quantum physicists kind of go into that level of life that things start getting quite murky. What is matter? What is energy? What is subjectivity? What is objectivity? And the, the conclusion that we have from our tradition of transcendental meditation or the the premise the starting premise is that all of existence is a manifestation of consciousness interacting with itself in infinite ways and is in consciousness is expressed in a human being in a certain way it's expressed in a fish in another way or a dog in another in, in a plant in another way and in wood in another way so it's like but it's all consciousness expressing itself via different um structures but those structures themselves are made of consciousness and depending on the composition of that structure one structure a human nervous system can reflect consciousness in a a way that's uh more alive than say uh you know a desk but it's all made of consciousness so all right so with that said when we think of group meditation we have uh many people just diving in back into the the ocean of consciousness and that that splat that's like creates a splash that can be measured but it doesn't really it doesn't show exactly what's happening all that we have all we have is a concept that life is made of consciousness and then we have evidence to support that when many people are splashing in that ocean of consciousness means going deep in their own consciousness, consciousness (laughs) back to the self means back to their deepest part of mind. There is something that happens in that that can be measured and it's good. It's a beneficial effect. Like they find crime rate decreases or, you know, and they go into even specific crimes or like robbery or homicide or all sorts of things, or they'll look at the accident number of auto accidents and they'll see, okay, we had a group meditation with this many people over this time duration. And then we compare it with a similar time when we didn't have people meditating. How did the national number of automobile accidents differ between that period and that period? And they'll do, you know, complex 
statistical analysis to, to look at that. And yeah, and if, if the group of meditators was large enough, they'll find a statistically significant decrease in say automobile accidents during the time of the meditation and the time when there wasn't a group meditating. So in like a very layman's terms, that was the best I could describe that. <laughs> There's other people you know who it professionally and could explain it better, but yeah. That's beautiful. Uh, I asked a similar question to uh, David Shapiro. We, we talked about transcendental meditation as well. And we remembered uh, Dr. John Hagley. And I, I think his lectures go very deeply into this. But I think it makes perfect sense. Uh, I mean, if let's say a crime or any sort of a hostile or violent behavior, essentially we, we started with this paradigm that all comes from thought. So it's essentially somebody mm -hmm. acting on a thought that doesn't come from love, doesn't come, it doesn't reflect more of deep consciousness. So if there is an effort of pure consciousness, if through some sort of a collective effort, there is more of that generated, it's just going to have effects that we're maybe we might be able to track after fact but not necessarily explain it uh, as tangibly as we explain other things although quantum physics kind of does address that but that's well beyond my punchline so. <laughs> me too but and you know about the n squared effect in like uh this comes up with acoustics a lot like if you put two speakers at a certain distance apart from each other the uh the waves the sound waves coming out of those speakers will constructively interfere and the, mm. the actual uh, sound volume generated from the speakers will be exponentially amplified. So this is, we use that same kind of analogy when we think of group meditation, but like just to finish the speaker analogy. So the N squared uh concept is like if you have two speakers that are constructively interfering it'll be two squared so it'll be four times as loud as just two speakers normally and if you have three speakers that are all constructively interfering it'll be nine times as loud if you have four it'll be 16 times as loud so that's like in when they're setting up for concerts and things like that they'll consider this n squared effect it's a real effect so in group meditation what we have is a similar thing that we call the the square root of one percent uh this was like the um the formula that maharshi gave for what he saw as the minimum amount of people meditating in a group that would have like that constructive interference of the speakers but with meditators so if you have um a population of like say in india or the populate well, i work a lot with india so i'm thinking about it there's like 1.3 billion people in India. And so if we wanted to create a group meditation that could transform in a measurable way the overall uh, outcome of the country, we would need the square root of 1% of 1.3 billion to create this, what we call super radiance effect. So that comes out to be like 35, 3,600 people, I think. Um, meditate. So about 3,500 to 4,000 people meditating together in a group, especially practicing the advanced programs of TM, that would be, that has been shown to create some kind of statistically measurable impact uh, on a country or on a city. Mm -hmm.
but the mechanics of been... that is a little bit unfathomable. <laughs> yeah. 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 But it has to be. Well, wasn't that uh, even the um, Dao Te Ching, which was the Dao that can be named is not the truth. There's this level where you start, there's this like topics such as consciousness, mind, thought, there's this level that you arrive at and then somehow language doesn't seem to be sufficient yet to address these topics completely and just disclose what it actually is but it makes sense yeah. you notice the effect you, you you can know it you can experience it but it's hard to prescribe it or define it, it it'll be the joy of future generations to define it yeah. and to it more deeply <laughs> yeah. that's beautiful and that's the number that you mentioned we cal we calculated it for armenia which was about 400 people yeah but that's more attainable although like if you think about how do we calculate it is it like per country per society or it does kind of i suppose radiate through people all around so it maybe makes sense to count it from country to country yeah you know it's it, there's an interesting answer to this in the sense that a country kind of has its own consciousness it has its yeah. own consciousness it has its own government and laws and culture and in all in borders and all of that kind of makes a country a, a sovereign consciousness on its mm. own. Um, I think though now, especially with the internet, there is some interesting kind of blending of consciousness coming into play that, mm -hmm. you know, obviously like if we didn't have cell phones and internet and any, just even basic telecommunication, a country is much more sovereign than it is now with all the interconnectivity. So I don't know how this this concept of square root of one percent actually plays out as the as countries become more interconnected. But still, mm. each country would have its own kind of thing, I imagine. So because <laughs> it still has its leaders and politics and all that. That's beautiful. And I like that because I've worked with uh, like political reforms and stuff like that. And if the reality, let's say, or the act action comes from thought, it does. And the only reality we actually experience is the one we think of. Then at, at, to become a sovereign country, we have to have a sovereign consciousness. And unless we take responsibility for giving our consciousness space to expand, nothing is going to. So that even like I think TM as a technique on an individual level allows you more. If we speak, <laughs> we came up with this metaphor of sovereign consciousness or or emotional sovereignty i think that's what it does it's i it's funny you mentioned that it was part you found out about it through this course called stressing and coping or something yeah and the thought that i had was like well yeah of course like tm does help you cope but it's actually beyond that it's there's this level where you go beyond coping and that's what transcending is you, you literally go beyond it and realize that you already are that so of course every once in a while you're gonna have this experience of being victimized and all that but it's just an experience of another thought. And once you've had this transcending experience enough times, even if you haven't transcended that at that second, you're not taking it as seriously, which is, I think, an effect of perhaps transcendental meditation that people maybe don't speak about so much, or maybe they do, I don't know. <laughs> no, I'm really glad you mentioned this because again, most people need stress relief now, but that's not all TM offers. Once the stress, in a way, all transcendental meditation or forgetting even about TM specifically, any technique that creates pure transcending is essentially just enlivening the creativity and intelligence of the person. 
The first thing that might have to happen is throwing off of stress, but that's actually a side effect of just increasing this intelligence and creativity. So after all the stress is thrown off, we still want to keep meditating for more and more and more intelligence and creativity and happiness and authenticity and integrity. So like all of that, include, I mean, the point is, it's not just about feeling better and coping. It really isn't. That's just the entry, I think, for a lot of people to, to look with, to turn within and try something because they just feel, you know, burned out or stressed out and they just need to feel better. But yeah, there's a lot, a lot of reason to meditate besides just that like you were just touching on, yeah. Yeah, that's so interesting. And all of a sudden you're looking for just a technique to cope just a little bit more and then voila, a completely different path. But but see, this is also interesting. I know people like Ray Dalio attributes so much of his success in, in, in the financial industry to TM. Uh, and people around, different people around me meditate do you think there's such a thing as some sort of like a spiritual tank or something? Why it's, I mean, people meditate all over the world, genders, races, ages, but then some people just pick it up and then that becomes like a completely, gets a completely different meaning. And then every once in a while, there's some people that just meditate and yeah, maybe they feel good, but somehow there's nothing more than that. How would, how could we explain that? Although the general benefits of transcendental meditation are, widely ascertained by the science but then beyond that how is it that some people use it that use that tool to go much deeper and for some other people it's whatever it's a good question um i mean all your questions are good but this it, it makes me think <laughs> yeah that one that one makes me think a little bit i i just everyone's different and everyone has their own uh personality and things that they like some people really love love exercising and like or love going on long runs some people would rather lift weights other people would rather swim i mean just to use an analogy some people like different types of cuisine you know it's every it's a world yeah, of yeah. diversity and some people really thrive or really enjoy meditating and some don't and that's fine that's just part of the diversity of life and uh not everyone like Maharshi says, not everyone has to meditate. We just need 1% or the square root of 1% and we'll achieve what we needed to achieve from this and, and let everyone just enjoy their life. You know, it's, and it's also sometimes a matter of the stage of life someone's in. Yes. They might be in a more active stage where they're really um, not wanting to just sit and close their eyes and be still, you know, and, and go within. And then five years later or 10 years later or 50 years later, now they really, you know, are ready to do that. So it just depends on, I think, on those factors. But yeah, everyone who gave it a shot with TM and um, sometimes also people can't meditate, can't sit and meditate for 20 minutes. And we have to adjust the time so that they only meditate maybe for 10 minutes. And then that's much more comfortable. And so there's all sorts of, uh, yeah all sorts of adjustments that can be made mm -hmm. to make it more comfortable for people that's beautiful well for the part of our listeners that are actually, that actually do practice tm how do you think what's the best way to get most out of it i mean is it the consistency there are a few other things like it's recommended to do it in the morning and then in the afternoon like how can we get most out of tm Yeah, I think routine is really powerful. Um, one of the things we recommend is just meditating before meals. So like before breakfast and before dinner. 
anything that creates some kind of system so that you know, okay, at this time, I'm going to take a break from my work or take a break from my obligations and just speak still. Having, having meditation scheduled, I think regularity and consistency, at least for the first few years of meditating is really important. Um, and, uh, yeah, and also don't be hard on yourself. If you miss a meditation, it's not a big deal. Just pick up where you are, you know, pick up the next day. If you haven't meditated in a while, you can go have your meditation refreshed and then just start, start again. Mm -hmm. And, uh, like anything that requires a little bit of discipline, it requires a little bit of discipline. The practice itself is effortless, but you might have to be a little bit disciplined to like stop working and meditate, right? You know, or stop watching TV and let's close our eyes and meditate. It takes a little bit of, um, a little bit of self-discipline, not a lot, but a little bit. So, but I think another general tip would be if you're not enjoying the meditation for some reason, or if you're having trouble doing it, contacting, uh, your meditation teacher can be really useful for just like getting re-inspired and maybe having your meditation checked and refreshed. And uh, that that can be really useful too. Mm, that's beautiful. Thank you for that. Mm, well, let's tr let's transcend transcendental meditation a little bit. Although we kind yeah. of I think have been we have, in a way we've been talking about TM, but we've been also talking about a lot of other things, and these things are very interconnected. But since you are you have you have studied psychology, and we've been talking about consciousness and mental health. What is one thing in all of this, let's just say your field of expertise that most other experts wouldn't agree with you? Ooh, interesting. Well, like we were sort of saying with the group meditation thing, like consciousness is primary. That That is one of the main tenets, I think, of... Um, my philosophy of life, you know, in existence, like, I don't know if other people would, if they would disagree with me, but it's certainly like not a commonly like agreed premise that like everything in your reality, I believe everything in our reality is a reflection of our inner state of being. Yes. <laughs> I don't know if other, I don't know if we would get a lot of disagreement from that, but it certainly is like a belief um, maybe it's true. Maybe it's a fact, but at this point it's, we don't have like objective evidence of that. Um, other than, well, we could, we could say maybe our own life has been our objective evidence of it, but it's like, you can't write it on paper and say, Hey, look at this paper. It shows consciousness is, is primary, but subjectively we might see that and discover that. So I think that would be, that would be one thing. I love that. See, this is so one of one of my listeners, even before we talked about started talking about TM with David Price, uh, she reached out and she asked me a question about TM in the context of the three principles that we shared. And it's kind of close to what you just said. And I actually think there there is no proof to that in a sense, like in a science, scientific proof. But if you talk about, let's say, our subjective experience of life, mm. the only experience of life we can have is is the one mitigated through thought because there are millions of things happening around us even in the same room the only ones that we are aware of is the ones that we we think of which kind of 
proves that thing that consciousness is primary sure and then if you take it to another level and say well you know how does thought manifest into reality is it you know some people might get a little bit more um what's the word uh voo-voo about it oh i think about it happens it's <laughs> maybe not exactly in those terms but um at least in on the level of awareness and then we act from that state of mind and awareness so that manifestation may be a more long-term process but it's a fact and it's i think just recognizing that is very powerful i really like what you said and in a way you could say the only the only medium we have you said thought and i would say take it a little further back and say that the medium we have is consciousness which includes also just our perception right and you can have a perception without thought certainly thought is pretty close to the whole process of consciousness and perception but yeah, that's how do we know anything? How can we prove anything? It always has to be through the medium of our own consciousness, perception, thought. And so, yeah, I could say, well, I don't have a paper to show you, but if I did, you would only be looking at that paper through your own consciousness anyway. So it is sort of a self-validating belief that consciousness is primary. I mean, that's, again, we would win a Nobel prize if we could somehow prove it on paper. But we can also just prove it to ourselves, I think, like you were saying. Mm. Yeah, beautiful. Well, in the in the paradigm that we share, the three principles of mind, consciousness, and thought, it's in a way they're all the same because there can be if so if we speak of yeah. if we define consciousness, look at me defining consciousness already. If we define consciousness as our capacity to be aware, which is at the basis of all things, and that consciousness is conscious of itself. If not for that universal capacity, I'm not speaking about our personal consciousness, but if not for that, no, no, like we wouldn't be able to experience our thoughts. And like the way I think about it is that there's this field of consciousness. And because of that everly, uh, that field, which is always alive, when whatever thought gets dropped into that, we immediately have the experience of that. And then our thoughts prove it. And then whatever needs to happen on a physical and a, um, on a level of perception happens. True, true, true. Um, I think this experience of just like what we say, we call it in our witnessing means just being aware of your awareness. You're just, you're, you're maybe perceiving something or thinking something, but you're also aware of the fact that you're perceiving and you're aware of the fact that you're thinking. So it, it just takes it one like little step back so that it shows that you also are not your thought and you're not your perception. You're actually the witness of it. And that's mm -hmm. sort of the deepest level of um, consciousness is primary. And in a way, your thoughts and your perceptions are also biochemically being created biochemically. And like they can, I think you might know more about this than me, but I think that they now have some way of looking at a brain maybe on an MRI or fMRI and sort of giving being able to see from the brain activity what you're thinking about mm, wow that's advanced yeah it's I getting, mean it's getting yeah. very it's getting very sci-fi <laughs> it, it, it will it's, which yeah I mean which 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 kind of makes this even even deeper and even harder to talk about well then we would have to separate the spiritual from the physical and how, how does that in a way, they're all one. So there has to be, as the more science advances, that there have to be means to track that as well. But this, that's that seems to be seems to be happening on a on a much 
much deeper level because it's not just the brain because now already with all these EEG machines, we can almost track the connection between, let's say different personal consciousnesses or, but I think that they have explanations for those things too, like mirror neurons and all that. This is... <laughs> There's gonna be, there is gonna be some level though that science can't penetrate into. So science yeah. seems to be being able to penetrate into thought and perception now in terms of brain activity, but there is some level that's pure subjectivity, pure uh, awareness that won't be able to be defined through an EEG or an MRI or yes. anything. And so that's the level that like brand new thought is still coming out of pure awareness or pure yes. sensitivity. And the, the first manifestation of it into matter is thought. It's almost like thought is the medium by which pure subjectivity starts becoming objectivity. Like, so. Yes, <laughs> that's beautiful. Yeah, uh, you have to, I have to send you some talks of uh, Sidney Banks AZ. He was actually a very ordinary person. He was a welder. He wasn't even interested in psychology or anything. And uh, at some point he had this kind of like an enlightenment experience. And then uh, he, he started seeing things and describing things. He, you just pointed to uh, some things that he, he often talks about. And that's where the three principles come from. And you're right, I, that experience of brand new thought taking birth, coming out of nowhere, especially if it's a thought that you have never thought before, or if it's a thought that perhaps nobody has thought before, that's pure creation. And I mean, we're not, without even going to how, what, how that thought is going to turn into action and how the world is going to change, but just the feeling of that is so beautiful. It's, it seems like this, the, in the TM metaphor, this deep ocean level, it almost has a feeling. So as you're moving closer, you're, you're experiencing this bliss consciousness, which brings us to another topic, the practicality of that. I mean, it's actually, it might seem like very spiritual, psycho, whatever, but it's a very practical thing. These thoughts that have this bliss feeling, or the more they have this bliss feeling, the more they're carrying the wisdom that comes from that state. And I think the, the Ayurvedic tradition does acknowledge that. Yeah, I think um, that was, it's a really beautiful concept. And uh, there's a book that Maharshi wrote called The Science of Being and Art of Living. And he talks about the more conscious capacity of your mind that you're using, the more the thoughts that are being generated by that mind, the more power, like proportionally more power that they'll have, more intelligence that they'll yes. have, more bliss that they'll have. So if you're using 10% of your mind, it's like the wave of thought will be 10% of your full thought potential. If you're using 50% of your conscious capacity of your mind, your thoughts will be 50% of your potential, thought potential. And if you're using 100%, it'll be 100%. Like the full ocean of, of consciousness that can flow through you will be flowing through you and, you know, carrying all this intelligence, creativity, power, and uh, joy with it, or just potential for maximum manifestation potential this is sort of a little bit if we were talking about manifestation manifestation is possible and it'll be possible when you're using the full potential of your mind that like 
or at least it'll be proportionally more possible the more of the mind that you're using I, I mean that's that that's how they talk yeah. about it that's how they talk about it. <laughs> that's beautiful I've actually had a few just quite a few somewhat mysterious experiences right after TM that I just couldn't explain it but and at some point I think I stopped trying to explain it or I don't know reverse engineer it or anything. I, I'd, lo I'd love to hear one of them one or two of them well essentially I mean, over the years, I would just start, I, I could kind of see that when I would quiet down and I would be in the silent states of mind, my perception of reality, and I also mean, in this case, I mean, the external reality, reality would just become clearer and then I could act clearer. But every once in a while, there were just maybe projects that I would work on and, um, you know, I've put in a lot of effort. I'm just waiting for the final result and uh, it's about to happen. And then somehow... I don't know, some, something's off, whatever. And then I was like, you know what? I'm just like going to stop thinking about it completely. And I'm just going to sit and meditate or something. And then sometimes during it, I, I get up and I don't know, I see this, somebody sends me a text. There's some sort of a synchronicity that happens. So it, it's not always me getting the thought and then acting, but there is some sort of a support that every once in a while you feel. And, and you, you've mentioned this a few times in, in uh, you speak about the support of nature. So this is a perfect transition to that. What, what's that? Well, I really value hearing your experience and, you know, just kind of looking into what, how you describe that um, very innocently. <laughs> and uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. so th this is a big topic. So I just want to think for a moment. Um, again with the whole talk this whole field that we're going into now and we're really touching on the deepest level of existence we're beyond thought now and Maharshi says and I don't want to always refer back to Maharshi because there's a lot of great philosophers but he's my personal teacher I've learned a lot from him and he says transcending thought is infinitely more valuable than thinking transcending thoughts is more valuable than thinking beautiful and so when you're meditating that's what you're doing you're transcending thought and that's you're now you're in the gap between objectivity and subjectivity like we were saying a few minutes ago in in the field of subject pure subjectivity everything came out of that every if you look around your room at least at least we start with man-made objects Every man-made object started in some man's or woman's mind. It started yes. as a thought. We could take it, you know, the Tao Te Ching or some other text, we could take it a step further and say, well, also nature came out of the thought. Thought of who? Thought of God or thought of nature or someone's thought. Pure subjectivity became everything that we see. And again, we can just do, deal with man-made objects. Everything in our room did start in someone's mind in some form or fashion when you're meditating and things start clicking problems maybe get solved and i've ex yeah i've experienced this um i experience this almost every day <laughs> actually now and I'll, I'll say a little bit about the frequency of it the experience in a mo moment but just to say when you're transcending thought the intelligence of the creation can func is functioning for you it starts working, not just for you, but for the good of every everyone. Everything that's 
not working, but nature wants it to work, starts to has a chance to somehow, I don't know the mechanics, but it starts to get cleared up. And so that's, I think, what you were experiencing when, you know, maybe you hit a block and things weren't moving. You're just like, all right, screw it. I'm going to meditate. I'm just going to take a step back from the problem and come back to myself. And yeah, when we do that, there is some magic that happens. It's not magic because it's also real, but I don't know how to describe it. So that's why I'm using the word magic. You know, it's something... Yeah it's something very uh, incredible. And when I started meditating and I heard people talk about this, we use the, the expression in the TM community, support of nature, you'll hear it a lot. Um, but I didn't really have a direct experience of it on a regular basis, maybe until recently, like the last couple of years, I've been meditating for 13 years. It probably was already working for me then, you know, when I started, even before I was meditating, just like sometimes you go to sleep and you wake up the next day and things are better, you know, something shifted, maybe you, your perception just changed on a topic or you got good luck or, but the point is when you meditate, it just gives us chance for nature's intelligence to start flowing stronger than it normally does if you're always engaged in the world. When you stop and when you allow the system to settle and you give the mind a chance to come back to source, there's just some magic that happens. And I, I, yes. can't, I can't say what it is. I just say that it happens. <laughs> yeah. We, That's we beautiful. Want more of that. <laughs> yeah. Want more of I that. don't think any, anybody can say what it is. It's exactly the Tao that <laughs> can be named. And what I love about it is that if you think about it metaphorically, there are pointers Joseph Campbell says, follow your bliss. You know, Abraham Hicks uh, has a unique way of speaking about it. Like one of my teachers, Sidney Banks, he had his own unique way of speaking about it. The whole Ayurvedic tradition seems to have acknowledged that for thousands of years. And whether how that works, yeah, nobody knows. Maybe it was some sort of a seed that was planted way before. Maybe this is kind of even transcending kind of space and time and we can't explain it. <laughs> but it's beautiful it's that it exists. Absolutely. And I think, you know, anyone, if any of your listeners are watching and they don't feel any of that kind of uh, joy or yeah. bliss or support of nature in their life, like, yeah, meditating is a great option, is a great thing to do. And when I, I didn't feel any of that, you know, a few years ago, like, I just felt frustrated <laughs> that yeah. things weren't, didn't feel like they were going my way, you know, I felt blocked. And uh, so some people just have good luck that they don't even need to do any kind of spiritual seeking or reading or meditating. Things just are going their way and they're flowing. But um, everyone can benefit from having more of that. And even if you're watching or you feel really not connected to that kind of life and reality, I uh, I can just empathize, like I know what that feels like, and definitely, definitely, uh, transcending thought is a way to start pulling those blocks out, you know. And I don't know, you could say the block is just your own self belief, like your own subconscious beliefs, or your own self limitations, or an actual physical reality situation. Maybe you're, you know, not in a job you like, or a relationship you like, or a country you like, whatever it is. But all of those blocks 
can be removed. And um, there's many, there's a, well, I should say, there's a few really effective things to do for that. And one of them is TM. That, that would be like a, yeah. Th th those I are agree. words I can stand by. <laughs> yeah. That's beautiful. And I, and, I'm, and I love that you brought it up. I think, by the way, this kind of thing started happening to me after I came to terms that I can, uh, I, I, I have the experience of transcendence and all that, but I can't nor need to transcend my human nature. And every once in a while, we don't choose our thoughts. You know, if I ask you what your next thought is going to be, you don't know. And they come with different feelings. And in a way, there is no such thing as a solution to a feeling. Mm -hmm. But through the experience of transcendence, we can recognize their temporary nature. So when they come up, we, we don't have to be as afraid of them. And we just we can just feel the feeling and let go of the story, stop, stop hanging into it, stop creating additional layers of thought, which depending on the experiences we've been through or depending on our attachment with that specific thought could be much easier said than done so that it's very important that you brought it up uh, and but essentially all we can do is if you're uncomfortable we can get comfortable with being uncomfortable as much as we can and just gravitate to that bliss and the feeling is there to guide us yeah and i appreciate what you said about um you know different, different people have different levels of of life experiences and ranging from really hard to pretty good or really good and wherever you are there is a path forward and it's sometimes hard to see what the path forward is and like you said easier said sometimes easier said than done to not be totally overwhelmed by one's life situation um external or internal uh but yeah there's a there's a path forward and one really nice thing that i also experienced from uh transcending thought all of these years is that there's other great resources that seem to be attracted to you when you're on a, a progressive path of self-development. So like I started with transcendental meditation, I still do it every day, pretty much. And, but like other nice resources have come to me, sometimes just in the form of people, you know, great, great people that you meet. Uh, who are supportive and help you see things differently or break you out of a little paradigm that you're in and, you know, explore new vistas or books that are fantastic that come to you kind of magically or um, other, uh, other great teachers teaching. So there's a whole world of a whole universe of wonderful things and people and uh, opportunities. And it seemed like once when one way I could summarize what I'm trying to say is it seems like transcending becomes a magnet for pulling in beneficial things. So even outside of other like philosophies of meditation, you might just learn a wonderful new journaling practice on YouTube. It just comes, it just pops in your feed and you recognize it because you're alert and you're, you're somehow tuned in to the frequency of benevolence and goodness and usefulness. So that's just one, one more thing I wanted to share with my experience. That's so beautiful. That kind of, uh, I relate to that a lot uh, because so transcending puts you on a more receptive state. And I think the most wonderful thing that transcending can take you to is understanding, seeing what's, because we are just so caught up in our thoughts all the time, our, 
thinking is clogged our judgment is not pure so how can we like i have my glasses and if it's just filled with dirt i don't see what's out there and then there are some things that are always there and when we not just see it once but see that they're always there and again there's a level of subjectivity as you mentioned but then when we see that the level of I think trust we develop. It's pretty much like physics. I, I, you guys use the physics metaphor as well. I mean, you don't have to believe in gravity. It's just true. But hey, the mind is so powerful. Um, you can think that it doesn't exist and your mind will prove that to you. I mean, the earth is going around the sun, but for thousands of years, people had completely opposite beliefs and their thought, subjective thoughts were uh, proving that. And I think it's that same thing. So T, TM was for me was one of the things that took me to help me get some of the most important insights in my life. And, and for that, I'm super grateful. So what you just said makes perfect sense. Yeah, great. And I think uh, you're just an awesome example of, of, uh, of someone who's on the path, like towards just generating more and more consciousness, positive influence on the world, intelligence, creativity. So I just wish we had a lot, lot more people like you for us making. Oh, need, thank we, you so much. We, we want you to lift up all, all your, uh, your whole network of, of listeners in whatever way, you know, that suits them. I just, uh, yeah, just been a joy, joy to get to know you a bit and, and have some conversation. It's been really nice. Oh, I can but reciprocate. We didn't have time to go through that, but I mentioned that you're, besides being a wonderful TM teacher, you're also a good friend of Armenia and, you have been instrumental in terms of providing uh, TM education on TM in Armenia, and it's very much needed here. You know about the war and the earthquake and the political situation around the borders, so that's beautiful. But let me ask you two more last yeah. questions before sure. we conclude. But they're all just concluding questions. What's it may be in the line of all that we talked about? What's giving you hope these days? Hmm. great question I don't want to go into like a lot of detail on the answer but I would just say that one of my long-standing dreams actually a couple of them but one in particular for for like the last 10 years that felt very at a distance seems to be coming true like over the next over the next one to two years I think this one of these dreams will come true. One or two of these dreams are going to come true. So that's just giving me a lot of hope because when something seems like it literally is just a dream and it's not, maybe it'll happen for you, but like long, a long ways from now, or, you know, if you catch, catch a couple of good breaks or something, but in this case, like it seems to be coming to fruition. So that that's one of the nice things that gives me hope mm. now. It's just, a long-standing dream coming true. Yeah. <laughs> That's beautiful. Thank you for that. And the last question, if you could leave the listeners with one piece of, let's say a loving thought or a piece of advice, what would that be? And we'll conclude there. Listen to Razmik. <laughs> <laughs> I knew you would, you would be a perfect guest. <laughs> no, right. I, really, I think Razmik, your voice is the voice of... Uh, intelligence and it's you 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 represent the intersection between intelligence and positivity intelligence and benevolence you know to use a few of the words that we were using before and 
that's so important. We in the end, you voice it. You know, you're visible. You're you're putting yourself out there. I think uh, that's really important now. It's like the world's in a transition. We need our generation to kind of step up, be visible, and be this voice of of love, intelligence, and positivity. And you represent that wonderful cross section of that. So, I, I think my my message is just uh, that we all should, you know, especially the people in our generation. Let's step up. Let's make the world better. Uh, if your listeners are mostly in Armenia, we'd love to, you know, partner with them with the mission that you and I are working on with TM and, and any mission that helps make the country better. Uh, let's do it. Let's not like be, uh, what, what do you say? Not lazy, but like, let's take action here. Let's really do it and make the world better and, and, uh, and have a great time doing it. That's, that's my, that's my thought. That's beautiful. Thank you so much for sharing that. <laughs> And Thank 25% you. of my audience is, I think, in the United States. So, <laughs> Oh, good. So, yeah, U.S. is where I live. So we have the USA-Armenia contingent. And, uh, yeah, let's make the world better. Let's have fun. And there's no greater joy than, like, helping helping other people is really the greatest satisfaction. So, like, once you've, you know, you have to help make sure you take care of yourself. And then the next thing is just to uplift other people. And that can, that's so it becomes a positive cycle of, uplifting you like as you uplift another you uplift yourself more and more and so we have a lot of uh infinite positive cycles we can generate with that that's beautiful and powerful thank you so much brian it has been a joy to have you on brand new thought absolutely privileged to be with you resume thank you thank you for listening if you've enjoyed this episode make sure to subscribe and share it with other people who may find it useful if you're interested in advancing your personal development journey, then go to brandnewthought.com where you can find a lot of free of charge materials, an online course on resilience, a blog, other episodes of Brand New Thought. And finally, consider working with me one-on-one. -on -one. You can learn more about the coaching packages on the website. Essentially, they include highly personalized sessions with individuals or groups learning materials and chat support after the coaching. Thank you so much for listening and have a wonderful day ahead. Goodbye.